it's a very hostile environment if you really think about it. I mean, on Earth, we're so easy to pull out muscles, but you know, in space, that has serious implications. Recovery is significantly reduced in space. No friends, no family for six months. What about three years? What about a mission that doesn't plan to come back when you're going to be isolated on a planet for the rest of your life? We don't know how that will affect people. My name is Shane Anderson, and this is Think Digital Futures. But before we get into it, quick disclaimer. Remember back to when you were a kid and all you wanted to be was an astronaut? This episode of Think Digital Futures may make you think twice about that. With the space industry booming, there's a lot of new paths opening up for people who want to get to outer space. Maybe you're yearning to be on board one of the upcoming commercial shuttles, or maybe you're preparing to colonize Mars. But are we boldly going where humans aren't actually supposed to go? At least, not from a medical standpoint anyway. Yes, this episode is about all the terrifying things that being in space does to the human body. The human body is built to adapt to a lot of different environments and climates. This is Joshua Chow, Director of Biomedical Engineering at the University of Technology, Sydney. And he's got some bad news for you. Just on Earth, we see a lot of that in the deserts where it's really hot or high up in the mountains where there's a lot of pressure. But space is a totally different environment. We're a pretty adaptive species. But space? What happens to our bodies when we go to space? There are lots of things that happen to our bodies and none of them are good. This is Niall Wheat, a pharmaceutical chemist at the University of Sydney. He's also here to rain on your parade. Our bodies have adapted to live under gravity. And the biggest effects we tend to see are when we take that gravity away. This lack of gravity causes everything from bone loss to swollen legs, kidney stones, a puffy face, flattened eyeballs, flu symptoms and a seriously confused immune system. Once you get over the whole no gravity thing, you've got increased risk of cancer, cardiovascular issues, cognitive problems, you keep running into walls and the everyday normal boring stuff like sleep deprivation, emotion sickness and hallucinations. Let's start with terrifying effects space has on your body number one. Bone density loss. This is one of the better known complications of space travel, but that doesn't make it any less frightening. The condition is called spaceflight osteopenia, and it looks like a condition we're familiar with on Earth, osteoporosis. They complement each other. In each therapy that's developed for osteoporosis, been tested for astronauts as well, and vice versa. So basically, this is about three types of bone cells. You've got osteoblasts, which helps you build bone, osteoclasts, which helps resorb bone or destroy it, and osteocytes, which would you like to think of as a manager of your bone homeostasis. These cells work together to repair and remodel our bones. But in space, there's no gravity pressuring these cells to do their job, so they slack off. Right now, people are saying that on average, an astronaut loses about 1% of their bone per month when they're in space. I mean, that doesn't sound like much, but surely that's having a big impact, right? Absolutely. Even though 1% is not a lot, the downstream effects of losing that 1% could be quite substantial. And if we want to think about long-term travel in space, that could really add up. Even that 1% each month means you're losing bone 10 times faster than an osteoporosis patient on Earth. This is a huge problem. 
It definitely impairs their ability to carry out these everyday tasks that they have to do. But you also have to think about if their bone strength is not that good, they're more susceptible to fractures. And if you break your bone in space, it's not like you can go to an orthopedic surgeon and get it fixed. I'm going to talk about what happens when your leg breaks in space later in the show. Hint, it's not good. But for now, just know that there's no way to prevent this loss, although researchers are working on it. When I was over at Harvard, there was a pharmaceutical company was, which was developing an antibody treatment. And so what they did was that they injected this into the mice and it was shot into the International Space Station for a few weeks. And what they found was that the mice did not lose bone, but actually gained bone during that period of time. In the meantime, there are some things astronauts are encouraged to do to prevent bone loss. You know how astronauts always seem to be doing exercise? Niall says this isn't just for fun. They're trying to minimise that bone and muscle loss. Astronauts on the International Space Station work out for two and a half hours a day, six times a week while in orbit to avoid bone loss. But think of it more like going on a run to deal with a hangover. The damage is already done. Your, your cells and your genes are not working as functionally as they should because your body is like a big mechanical sensing machine. So without that gravity, they kind of lose their way. That really affects their ability to recover. Now, you do recover from bone loss once you're back on Earth, eventually. But until we can find a way to prevent it from happening in the first place, this doesn't bode well for future trips to Mars. With a one-way trip to the Red Planet taking around six to nine months, you likely wouldn't survive the return. But if you do make it there and back, brittle bones won't be your only problem because you'll also be experiencing terrifying effects space has on your body number two. Eyesight deterioration. So uh, Scott Kelly, he was the US astronaut who spent the most amount of time in space. One of the big things he came back with was he was starting to lose his vision. This condition is called visual impairment intracranial pressure. Here's a clip of astronaut Chris Hadfeld explaining exactly what that is. Some astronauts in long-duration spaceflights are reported having blurred vision. And scientists think it may be caused by the extra fluids in our head, resulting in sort of a flattening of the eyeballs and maybe even swelling around the optic nerve. Yep, you heard it, flattened eyeballs. A couple of years ago, scientists tested the eyes of 27 returned astronauts and found seven of them had flattening in the back of one or both of their eyeballs. The cause of this flattening is the redistribution of fluids in our body. And the cause of this redistribution of fluids is, of course, the lack of gravity. When we're on Earth, we have the gravity. Our body fluids get pulled down. But in space, because the fluid has to be redistributed throughout the body, that causes pressures. And those pressures so happen to be in the, on the nerve where it's uh, affecting your eye. This redistribution is also the reason why astronauts have puffy faces. If you haven't noticed this before, have a look next time you see a photo from the International Space Station. You can't unsee it. Of course, flat eyeballs and puffy cheeks aren't the only impacts fluid retention has on your body. Your legs tend to swell up and your immune system seems to go a little bit crazy as well. So astronauts that have spent a lot of time in space, and we're talking over six months, tend to develop a lot of flu-like symptoms as well. It does reset itself once you're back under the crushing weight of gravity with the rest of the human race. But the eyeball flattening is permanent. Niall says it's hard to know what the long-term effects of fluid retention are. So the first astronauts were only going up in the late 60s, and that was for very short trips. We've only had long-stay missions since about the 80s where the Russians had Mir. So those people are still only getting into their 50s and 60s now, so we don't have enough data to know whether it'll affect them in the long term. 
one thing we do know is that if you're nearsighted, space travel might actually fix this. So if you're lucky enough to have bones that are giant mounds of calcium and also need glasses, space might be a good place for you. For a short amount of time though, before you begin to experience terrifying effect space has on your body number three. The impact of radiation. Of course, you have those solar radiations, you know, cosmic radiations that come through, and we don't have really anything to prevent it. We can limit it, but we can't completely prevent it. Here on terra firma, we're shielded from a lot of radiation by the Earth's atmosphere. But beyond Earth's orbit, you start to see all types of radiation that range from stuff we're familiar with, like UV rays, to scarier stuff like galactic cosmic rays. These are clouds of high-energy charged particles that we think originated from supernova. There's no technology currently available that can shield us from the effects of these rays. And exposure to radiation, even on Earth, is not good news for our health. We know that radiation has a direct link to a lot of different types of cancers, and the longer you're in space, the more radiation you're getting, so you become a prime candidate for developing cancer. The fun part is that we're not quite sure how much radiation astronauts receive in space, because the levels change with the space weather. A solar storm, for example, flings radiation out into space. And while it doesn't reach us on Earth, it still carries enough power to occasionally mess with our satellites. As for the International Space Station, that's in a low Earth orbit, so it's still a little shielded from the full blast of the outer space radiation. But scientists reckon that for astronauts on the ISS, it only takes 18 months for women to receive a lifetime's worth of radiation, and for men, they get two years. This greatly increases an astronaut's risk of cancer, and having to treat cancer in space is not something we're ready for. We don't want someone to develop cancer while they're on a space mission, whether it's for colonisation or for expedition, because we're not going to have the facilities to treat that. There's more than 50 different types of cancer, and they all need a different cocktail of drugs, and we can't possibly take up everything that person's going to need. For the time being, the best defence we have against space radiation is the slightly optimistic plan of simply choosing astronauts with a low risk of developing cancer. How do we stop them from getting all these problems is we're just ultra-selective on who we choose to minimise the risk. Yeah, like hedging your bets, basically. Hedging your bets. Niall thinks this is an area where gene testing could come in handy. Straight away, you're going to choose younger astronauts rather than older ones because cancer is predominantly a disease of old age. But we know there are particular indicators for cancer as well. So the BRCA1 gene is known to cause breast cancer and ovarian cancer. Will we start selecting astronauts based on their genetic profile and their likelihood of developing breast cancer or ovarian cancer? I'm not so sure if gene selection is the most practical way forward. Commercial space flights are inviting more and more of us to visit space, and it's unlikely all these new space tourists are going to meet the strict requirements that astronauts do. So what's going to happen then? In fact, as space missions get longer, and as we move towards colonisation, the severity of all these health problems are only going to increase. And that's not even mentioning probably the least understood impact that space has on us, which I've included as an honorary terrifying effect space has on your body number four. What does being in space do to our mental health? And this is an honorary point because, quite frankly, nobody really knows. 
apparently all the astronauts that go up there are really evaluated on their ability to survive in that kind of you know confinement isolation so i think they're pretty well selected to handle that kind of stress in my research astronaut mental health was the elephant in the room despite having long lists of publicly available research on the nasa website there's not much mention of how astronauts look after their mental health. But like Josh said before, we do know that astronauts undergo significant psychiatric testing. We know that the International Space Station right now has stocked antidepressants. And is mental health in the space station a big issue? I don't believe it's a, it's a big issue, but what they are doing is preparing for the worst case scenario, so you don't know what could happen. Events back on Earth get reported up to the space station or someone's having a particularly bad week. You want to make sure you've got something they can use. However, in the shift from highly trained astronauts traversing space to civilian space travel, mental health needs to be taken into consideration. Let's have a look at what we do know. Sleep deprivation is a huge contributing factor to poor mental health. And it just so happens, sleep deprivation is a common problem among astronauts because of their disrupted circadian clock. Josh explains. Circadian clock is your internal body clock. Every cell has a circadian clock, and that alters its gene expression and what happens to the cell, therefore affects your tissues and your body. So it's kind of like you know when you go fly overseas and you have jet lag, so that's your circadian clock going haywire. Astronauts on the ISS experience a sunrise or sunset every 45 minutes. And while this looks beautiful, it's wreaking havoc on your body's perception of time. And that's on top of all the other problems you're dealing with up there. So, do you still want to go to space? After the break, we're going to have a look at what would happen in a medical emergency. This is Think Digital Futures. to Think Digital Futures. You've just heard all the ways the human body reacts to space, and most of them are going to keep me up at night. But humans are resilient. We adapt to our environment, and we're sturdy and we're resourceful. So what might happen if you were in space and there was a medical emergency? What would happen if you, say, broke your leg? Well, you're probably going to be in a lot of pain, but there will be very set procedures for what to do. The first step in any medical emergency, Earth or elsewhere, is to notify someone. 
And depending on where in the universe you are, this could be tricky. If you're in Earth orbit, we're talking seconds for the signal to go back and forth. If you're on Mars, you're talking maybe 18 minutes to half an hour for the signal to go back and forth. And sometimes you don't have the time to wait that long between instructions on what to do. Since Mars is currently a rover graveyard devoid of human life, let's go with the more likely scenario, which is that you've broken your leg in the International Space Station. And now that you've let Houston know you have a problem, what's next? Your first priority is going to be making sure that we get rid of the pain. You're not going to be making good decisions while you're doing that. The ISS is well stocked with analgesics that you can self-inject. But be careful because it's not easy injecting anything in microgravity. In fact, the official NASA Emergency Medical Procedures Manual specifically warns against loose needles becoming a projectile. But once the pain is managed, you need to deal with it the same way you would a break on Earth. And then you're talking about basically setting it in the same way that you would down on the ground. So not plaster of Paris, but they have braces and other things that they can use to set the leg. After that, you're not going to be very functional with a broken leg. So we're probably looking at an earlier evacuation than what we normally would have with that person. Astronauts do have significant medical training, but a broken leg would signal the end of your trip to space. Or if an evac is too difficult, Josh says there's an easier way to deal with the problem. What happens if there is a medical emergency in space? Maybe they just eject them and throw them back to Earth. (laughs) (laughs) Just save money. Yeah. (laughs) We'll we'll see you back down there. There are so many variables to consider when we're talking about medical emergencies in space. And the ISS is as prepared as you could possibly be. You can even check out their medical manuals online. They're like the perfect survivalist packing list. But even when you're as prepared as NASA are, space is always going to have the last laugh. Because there's no guarantee that those medicines are going to work the same way in space as they do on Earth. Niall explains. Most medicines have a shelf life of between 6 to 18 months. And that's if you store them correctly, which a lot of people don't do. For the record, storing them correctly means keeping them away from things like heat and light. And these are two things you can't really protect against in the space station. Up there, you've got changing humidity, you've got the radiation. We're looking at medicines maybe not lasting as long as we need them. There's no guarantee that they're still going to be effective at the end of that mission. You end up with medicines that are potentially useless. And when we start thinking about longer missions like trips to Mars, there's no guarantee that medicines will actually last that long. A recent study showed that when subjects took paracetamol in no gravity, it absorbed much slower than on Earth but the amount of paracetamol that reached the bloodstream actually increased. This means it could be much easier to under or overdose, neither of which are ideal in a medical emergency. At this point, you're probably thinking that maybe you won't really need that many medicines in space anyway. Why would you? You can't catch a cold in space, right? You can definitely get sick in space. Everyone has this preconceived idea that it's a very sterile environment. You see them putting satellites and things together. They've got the little white caps on and the little booties. That's to keep dust away. It doesn't keep germs away. The human body is riddled with germs, viruses and bacteria, and they take that up with them. Turns out the International Space Station is filthy. Are they going to get anthrax or smallpox? They're not going to get that, but there are plenty of other bacteria which are up there that they can still have. And thanks to the aforementioned radiation, these bacteria aren't just surviving in space. There's lots of radiation in space. Bacteria and viruses are always mutating and there's nothing to stop it from going something that's quite benign and safe to something that's going to cause us a little bit more trouble. A terrifying example of this came in 2006 when a microbiologist sent salmonella up in the Atlantis space shuttle. 
When it got back to Earth, she gave it to mice and found that it actually killed them at an abnormally fast rate. Not only do our medicines lose their effectiveness, but so does our food. I'm not sure if anyone thinks that the vacuum-packed space food tastes any good. Well, now we know that it's not very nutritious either. Josh explains. A lot of the nutrition we get on Earth is through our food, but in space, it's not like they're going to get a master chef up there to cook for them. So a lot of the food they take is prepackaged. And what studies have shown is that the nutrition values actually decrease over time. That definitely affects their ability, for example, bone or maintaining the muscle, even just general health. So why why does the nutrition decrease over time? You know, in space, it's prepackaged food, so the way that they're processed, also radiation, also destroys these nutrients. In the, in the food, so that's also another problem that they face amongst all the other problems. Okay, so let's assume at this point that you've survived space. You're on your way back down to Earth to be reunited with your family and friends. Maybe it's been a quick trip to the space station and you've not really been in space long enough for the health problems to accumulate. Or maybe you've come back from a gap year on Mars. What should you be expecting when you touch down? If you've ever seen an astronaut when they've come back from a long space mission, there's always lots of people on the ground to greet them. It's not because they all want to shake hands, it's because the person can't walk, basically, when they get back. Not off to a great start. Niall says that astronauts can't stand up because returning to normal gravity means all your fluids need to go back to the normal spot, and your legs need to get used to carrying all your weight again. One of the things that's been reported is that astronauts have very sensitive skin. Now, this comes about because when you're floating around in space, you're not touching anything and your body becomes ultra sensitive because you haven't been in contact with the ground and the walls and different things. So astronauts have reported both sensitivity to light and touch when they've come back from long missions. Wobbly legs and sensitive skin are more like short-term quirks than serious medical issues. And some of the other fun quirks include losing your balance a lot and having trouble focusing your vision. So far, these are fairly harmless. As for the long-term effects of space travel, well, we're still figuring it out. Like Niall said earlier in the show, we haven't been travelling in space long enough to study it. There is talk in the scientific community that there's a link between space travel and Alzheimer's, But this is still at the debate stage. One of the big problems with Alzheimer's is we're still not 100% certain of what causes it. So then it's hard to say, is space a contributing factor to causing Alzheimer's? Well, we know what happens in the process of developing Alzheimer's, but we don't know why it begins. It's hard to have a definitive link between travel and space and Alzheimer's. Space is terrifying. There's no two ways about it. Humans aren't meant to be there. And hearing all these horrible things that happen to us when we're in space makes me wonder, is it all even worth it in the end? Well, I'll leave that up to you to decide. But in the meantime, this is a clip of astronaut Chris Hadfeld describing what it's like to take off into space for the first time. As you come around the corner at the Kennedy Space Center, it's normally pre-dawn, And in the distance, lit up by the the huge xenon lights, is your spaceship. The vehicle that is is going to take you off the planet. And the crew is is sitting in the astro van, sort of hushed, almost holding hands, looking at that as it gets bigger and bigger. We ride the elevator up, and we uh, crawl in on your hands and knees into the spaceship, one at a time. And you sort of worm your way up into your chair and plunk yourself down on your back. 
What has been a lifetime of both dreams and denial is becoming real. Something that I dreamed about, in fact, that I chose to do when I was nine years old, is now suddenly within not too many minutes of actually happening. And as the time gets closer and closer, this excitement is building, and then about three and a half minutes before launch, the huge nozzles on the back, like the size of big church bells, swing back and forth, and the mass of them is such that it sways the whole vehicle, like, like the vehicle's alive underneath you. And then about 30 seconds before launch, the vehicle is completely alive. It is ready to go. The APUs are running, the computers are all self-contained. It's ready to leave the planet. And 15 seconds before launch, this happens. 